This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we interrogate the idea of creativity. My guest, Ali Mould, says 21st century capitalism has redefined creativity from being a power to create something from nothing to the ability to create new products for markets. Creativity, in other words, feeds capitalism's own growth. Students and workers alike are told they must be entrepreneurial and flexible to survive the global economy. We are told businesses and governments seek out these character traits. In effect, the power to create has become an individual characteristic that can be traded and exploited. Ali Mould is a human geographer based at Royal Holloway, University of London. He argues for a creativity that forges entirely new ways of social organization. His new book, Against Creativity, published by Verso, goes on sale tomorrow. Ali Mould, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you for having me. So you start your new book by detailing a Pepsi commercial from 2017. Can you describe to listeners what that commercial showed? Yeah, so this Pepsi ad came out in 2018 and um, it shows uh, Kendall Jenner, who's the, I guess, uh, the new kind of um, model of the day. And she is uh, having a photo shoot done and she spies this this protest movement that's walking outside her door and it's um really riffs off what's been going on in the UK and the US of late those uh protest marches that have been going against uh, police brutality um brexit um you know all the kind of uh ills of this uh, contemporary world and um yeah and it's it's a very generic protest there's lots of signs saying things like join the conversation and love and all these really words that you never ever see at protests right and um, she spies this other sort of model-looking guy. She, um, you know, throws off her wig and smudges her lipstick and just join joins this march. And um, it's really quite, uh, uh, quite incredible. She goes over. She goes over. She grabs a, a Pepsi can, gives it to a policeman who's clearly there to supposedly keep the peace, and he nods approvingly. And everyone sort of laughs, and everyone's uh, really, really happy that this guy is drinking this Pepsi. Uh, and all the while, there's a, there's a what's clearly supposed to be a Muslim girl, a, a photographer who's um, uh, goes comes in and out of the commercial at various times, and she uh, she's at the beginning she's frustrated because the photos she has aren't very good, and she's clearly frustrated, and you can see her doing that. And then she spies the protest as well, and she sees um, she sees Kendall Jenner giving this um, uh, Pepsi can to the policeman, and she um, takes the photo, and she's really happy, and and it's. Um, everyone's you know everyone's really really happy about what's going on but the you watch it and you just sort of you know the timing of it was was important given that it was all that stuff going on in the states in in the US and in the UK and it was clearly riffing off this it was clearly sort of taking this aesthetic of protest to you know sell pepsi cans and it was very very blatant very very crass and it was just um you know very very obviously done in that way and Clearly, when it came out, there was a lot of stuff online that was very critical of it, and it was taken down. Actually, they 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 apologised for it, 
Um, so that's what the advert does. And, um, you know, it was very, very blatant. And actually, there was a very famous photo from Baton Rouge where there was a, a woman who was being um, kind of approached by police and being handcuffed. And it it was clearly, you know, riffed off that. And it was, yeah, it was just very, very raw. And so that's what the commercial does. It really appropriated the protest aesthetic in order to essentially hawk a sugary drink. And what does that tell you about the contemporary form of creativity? Well, it says that essentially creative practices, in this case, advertising, um, but it bleeds into a lot of the corporate practices uh, more generally, that it, it essentially, um, you know, that they're, they're called creative, but what they're doing is that they're, they're scouring the world, they're, they're scouring um, all sorts of different images and, you know, experiences and feelings and emotions in order to plant them in in ways that make profit for their products. So, you know, what people say are uh, creative in terms of advertising, what they're doing is they're not being creative, they're being appropriative, they're being co-optive and that they're taking things that already exist in ways, things that are sort of actually kind of anti-capitalist or resistive and using it to, um, you know, for corporate processes. So they're emptying it, emptying it of any kind of ethic, any kind of anti-capitalist um, meaning and just kind of um, using it to just plaster over ways of flogging their, their products in, in, you know, new and kind of, I guess, innovative, creative ways, as, as, as they say. So for me, that's not creative at all, because they're actually destroying what that image means. And as these things, you know, as they get more and more into the corporate aesthetic, they, they begin to lose their meaning and they actually lose their their resistive and anti-capitalist um, ethic. You know, you've seen it with, with punk and, and skateboarding and I guess even things like hip-hop to a certain extent. You know, these are things that were once quite subcultural and quite resistive, but now they're, they're very much part of the mainstream and you watch it now and you, 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 don't, you don't get a sense of that, that counter-cultural movement. You do to a certain extent and they still exist in the cracks and everything else, but in the, in the whole, you, you just don't get that when you see it. So that is uh, why that Pepsi ad in particular, I think, was a particularly damaging form of creativity. And is this, is this a new phenomenon or, or has, in a sense, capitalism been appropriating various creative ideas and industries and riffing off of, off of maybe anti-capitalistic uh, imagery and protests to further capitalism itself? Like, is this new or has this been happening for quite some time? I think it's relatively new. The, there's a lot of work, scholarly work, which has been done around the May 68 Parisian riots. Um, these were almost considered a bit of a watershed moment because post that time, and I guess you can catch that in the wider countercultural revolution of the 60s more broadly, that, um, you know, it, it signalled a kind of shift in how corporations work from being quite structured and hierarchical and quite kind of pragmatic to being a little much more flexible in how they go about using images and to further their um their profit margins and, and their, their their spread i guess and yeah people like um bolchansky and chiapello in their book um the spirit of new capitalism they argue quite strongly and you know in what is essentially 550 pages of this argument that post 1968 uh capitalism has got much better at doing this so it's not necessarily new, uh, but it's it's the the ways in which uh, capitalism has changed 
its processes have since around the kind of late 60s, early 70s. And from then, you see a lot of this stuff uh, happening, a lot of this appropriation happening. And it actually happens much quicker now. And I think with the advent of social media, it's sped up even more. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily new, but I think that it's quicker. It's a lot quicker now. I always use the example of subcultures. I mean, I did some work around parkour and graffiti and skateboarding and all those, I guess, urban subcultures. And you look at skateboarding, it took maybe a decade, 15 years for it to become appropriated, if that's you know how you can measure these things. And then graffiti took a you know, similar kind of time. Parkour took about two or three years. So it's... um. You know, you you can kind of trace these things and how these, you know, you spot something that's new and innovative and very, very creative because it's subcultural or, you know, anti-capitalist. And then within a few years, it's become part of the mainstream. It's been Red Bull or Nike splashed all over it. So I wouldn't say it's new. Uh, I'd say it's different and quicker. So in a, in a sense, is the idea of creativity therefore changing in itself? Yes, like, it depends on, I guess, which version of creativity you, you mean. I mean, I think, I think, yes, I think the... What it means to be creative, I guess, from top down, it, to, to, to use a blunt phrase, I guess what corporations and businesses and politicians and, and teachers and everything else tell us to be, yes, it's it's about, um, you know, being flexible and, and innovative in how you work. It's kind of exploring the world, but always bringing that back in to say, look, how can that how can that help us to grow? It's It's about growth. Now, that is often couched in economic growth, economic development. So it's not, um, you know, it, and sometimes that can be personal growth as well, you know, but it's always about what can you what can you find out there that helps you to grow as a person, as a nation, as a, you know, in terms of monetary wealth or, or, or whatever it might be. So, you know, that's what I argue in the book is that, the, the, the you know, the notion of creativity has now been privatised. It's about, you know, is how can you be creative in order to help yourself you know how you know to 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 expand your yourself in you know in monetary terms in kind of um enlightenment terms and everything else so that is what creativity means in terms of you know how top down i guess um and that's how it's changed yeah and so what does that actually look like i mean this this privatized notion of creativity what does that look like today you know for for someone in entering the labor force, for instance, well, it looks very, it looks very, very precarious. Actually, it looks, it looks very problematic for me. Anyway, I mean, you, you look at all the different job ads out there at the moment, um, from, you know, from fast food workers to corporate CEOs. Creative is in there. You have to be creative, and it's become so ubiquitous that it's almost meaningless. But what it, you know, but what it, what it always means for me, anyway, is, is that you have to be flexible you have to sort of embody that mode of competition i guess and, and you know this is uh, the broader argument that i make in the book is that this version of creativity is very much couched in within what people call you know the neoliberal turn and this idea that the markets must be as efficient as possible and they must extend into every realm of life um and so what within work you know if you go into the job market that's what um creativity i think when you see it that's what you should you should always be be very very careful because it's asking you to be flexible so it's asking you to you know maybe work on a zero hour contract or it's you know asking you to work as a as a sort of outsourced worker where you, you know you get very few workers rights you know um and you look at all the various gig economy companies that are around you know there's a, been a huge backlash against their working practices you know they're, they're 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 great if you've got the flexibility you know the students that i teach 
actually really like these kinds of things because it allows them to earn a little bit of money while you know whenever they want during their studies but you know if you're relying on that kind of work to live it becomes a whole different ball game and you know being creative in that way should really not just mean oh you you can be flexible and just work whenever we want you to work and you bow to the whims of the of of, of us as employers and to the you know how the market dictates you should work so that is what that version of creativity means in the labor force. What does it look like in education? I mean, I know you have students who may work as, you know, Uber drivers as well, for instance. But what about in education itself, either in higher education or even in, in you know, secondary and, and primary education? You know, are, do we see this sort of definition of creativity, this neoliberal definition of creativity creeping into these spaces as well? It's an interesting question. And I'm... Um, um, and funnily enough, I I toyed very much with the idea of having a chapter about education in the book. Um, I I didn't primarily because I don't I didn't think I could make a an argument with the examples. But I think that it 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 is to a certain extent this sort of neoliberal version. In it's it's interesting because obviously I've got two young children now at school, um, and it's really really fascinating to see how the educational structure is, you know, encouraging or not encouraging creativity. There's a big thing in the UK at any rate at the moment about um, how uh, it's really important for children to know and, and university students as well to, to have STEM subjects, you know, science, technology, engineering and maths, because those are the things that you know drive, economy, drive the economy, drive productivity. But actually, a lot of people are saying that, well, actually, you do need that, but you also need the STEAM subjects, the art in there as well. And you actually need to meld the two, you know, having, you know, music classes and art classes with engineering and to make sure that they have a very well-rounded education and that's been driven by a lot of people who work in for example the computer games industry or you know the tech sector they're saying actually we need people who understand creative methods and you know artistic practices as well as the, the nuts and bolts of maths and engineering so i think that that that's that's important to a certain extent so uh, you know that division is happening quite early on in 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 education you know for example my kids you know they don't do a huge amount of music and that's partly use the budget cuts and everything else you know when when budgets get cuts the first things to go are the arts they're like oh they're, they're not important you know let's, let's you know let's concentrate on english and maths and stuff and i was like well maybe not the other thing as well is and i know um in the uk we have a guy sir ken robinson who you may you may know he he's been very um um vocal about this and sort of saying that actually one of the things he's concerned about is that we group students into a year groups very very early on you know, we say like five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and they're not, you know, they they flourish at very, very different um, times. And, you know, you kind of, you have a particular kind of year group, and but you'll have very, very different educational levels within that. And maybe, I mean, um, Ken says that maybe we should change the way that we group students together, for example. So, um, yes, I think that this, this version of creativity is creeping in, and it's around, you know, the, the numbers of... the you know the targets and the the exams and everything else that has to be done is so huge now that students are just sort of told how to you know pass exams they're not told how to think um so that yes there's there's a number of different problems within uh within education in terms of its how, how creativity in that neoliberal form is being applied and what about higher education i mean when not when you were saying about the idea of being flexible and having work that is very precarious to me it makes it, it higher education becomes a, a great example of you know the rise of contract teachers so i mean in what ways have you seen 
this idea of creativity or neoliberal creativity entering higher education. Do you mean the 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 teachers themselves or the teachers or even more broadly, you know, like where where do we see some of these neoliberal forms of creativity in universities? So I think that uh, within higher education, it's it's, uh, it's really interesting. You see, yeah, the workforce themselves, the academics and, and the teachers within higher education, you're almost getting a, a, a sort of um, a, a dichotomy, a dualism creating where you've got a a sort of higher, let's say, uh, research class or professorial class that are quite, um, you know, they're very um, secure. They have um, huge amounts of um, free time to do their research, and it's kind of self-serving in that respect. And there's a, and but that you couple that couple that with the massive increase in students that we've seen, which you know has become part of the problem because that's where that's where universities get their money from now are students. So we, we need large numbers of students, so you, they need to be taught. And so we have this sort of underclass of, of, of very, very precarious teachers and universities in the UK, and I think the US as well, have a, you know, they're erring towards like nine-month contracts, part-time contracts, you know, very short-term things. And I, you know, being in the sector myself, I hear so many stories about early career staff and people fresh out of PhDs who have, you know, they've had to travel to different countries, live in different parts of the world, move away from their families, their wives, their children, in order to secure a nine-month teaching post or a, you know, a 12-month part-time lectureship. And it, it's just not healthy, and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't um, foster that longevity and that kind of uh, that connection that students require at higher education. Um, you, know, I'm a, you know, I'm in the higher education system because I believe it is a fundamentally crucial part of people's lives, you know, and having that critical thinking is 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 really really important because without it you know we're just producing more of these you know to to use the phrase these worker drones that have no kind of ability to act creatively in the way that you know I want people to in, in the book so and that comes from the the amount of critical thinking and the the input that people get in in higher education further education the sort of latter years if you like of their of their educational career and having that you know, that binary class again kind of just erodes that because you just you know you're just creating this sort of cadre of precarious workers who are just like okay I, i'd like to be able to do that but i can't because i need to make sure that you know the students do this and they they, they pass their exams and they do this and i have make sure i have my numbers up so i can get employed elsewhere so it's it's all being you could, there's this sort of soft agenda i guess of just moving people towards a sort of far more auditing and just by the numbers kind of educational system, which, you know, is very, very neoliberal at its heart. And so how has creativity been defined sort of outside of this idea of or being appropriated by capitalism? Like, is are, in, historically, how else has creativity been thought of? Well, I guess it, it depends how far back you go. I mean, um, it's you know, there's very interesting the, the the lineage. I mean, you could go all the way back to kind of ancient societies where where creativity was considered uh, something which you know, which, which the gods had. It was they were the ones who had the ability to create something out of nothing. And you know, you trace that through history and the way that it's kind of been developed over time. It, there's creativity has been increasingly privatized and increasingly something which you know value has been extracted from it. But I think there's something to be said about having a a creative mindset or having a kind of an idea of creativity, which is about societal um, progress. Now, 
the arguments are that creativity now is just sort of something which you know that we need to grow we need to make more money and and that's one version of progress but it's not but it's one which doesn't necessarily um inculcate anything new it just creates more of the same sort of stuff and in a world that is rapidly deteriorating ecologically growth is just a is a concept which i i you know we're going to need to rapidly get away from very very quickly and so we need to so the idea of being creative that doesn't just produce more of the same stuff uh in this case when well, capitalism's case capitalism's case like money and profit then you know that's the kind of creativity which we need to 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 work towards and there's lots of examples throughout history of of societies that work that way so you know i often talk about the people like the diggers and the levelers in the uk and the sort of um in the in the 15th 16th century they they were very much ones who kind of came up with the idea of the common the common wealth this idea that if you know you, there is no such thing as private property and people kind of work together on the land and work together to create an economy a social economy which which provided all their needs provided everything that people you know needed to to get by and to live including culture and artistic you know um enjoyment but it was done collectively it was done with a sense that you know, um, we can uh, negate any uh, potential damages or potential shortfall in um, in provision by by acting collaboratively and collectively and as a commons. You know, capitalism erodes that. Capitalism sort of says, "Well, look, I, I'm working this way. It's really great for me. I want to do it more." So it then begins to encroach on other people's enjoyments, which is why we get huge inequality and everything else. So, a, a creativity which sort of says, "No, let's let's." not to work towards um you know making more of the same for a very small amount of people let's make sure that we uh create a world which actually we can all enjoy because you know if if the climate change uh, people are, are correct this this world is not going to be the same very very soon so it's it's something which we need to uh reconceptualize creativity very very quickly because at the moment the way it's currently defined in the mainstream is just it's just not creative at all it just produces more of the same problems and that's going to uh, become very, very difficult to uh, sustain very, very quickly. So how would that happen? How can we reconceptualize creativity away from the idea of more growth is always good? That's a very good question. Uh, one which if I had the answer, then uh, I, 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 you know, I'd probably be a very rich man than I am now. Um, but, if, you know, rather ironically, I guess. Um, but the to push against that idea of creativity uh, as something which is just sort of makes more of the same capitalist growth. There are examples of it out there, and I and I in the book I try to sort of pinpoint some of the more progressive ones, you know, worker worker cooperatives, um, different political systems, um, you know, disability. There's there's a huge array of ways that we can conceptualize creativity. They're at the margins of society now. You know, it's not a case of like bringing them into the mainstream and just saying, oh, okay, let's let's make. Um, disability you know the, the way we define creativity and let's just use them as means of growth it doesn't work that way you have to kind of shift your societal structures to look towards the margins and say well look what is it that these people are doing what is it that these communities are actually achieving and that is in the most case kind of a quite a radical sense of of uh, equality and making sure that you know there is enough of the resources or at least the resources of which they have goes to the people that need them and in and in doing so you create a far more just far more progressive and actually far more sustainable uh community so you know there's plenty of examples out there you know um 
there was a really uh, actually after the book I um, came across a, a, an example in Mexico um, um, Chiran which is a city which is completely uh, refused to um, engage in in local pol- uh, local elections have you have you seen that example it's it's fascinating I'm it's it's annoying that I, I sort of saw it after the uh, after the book was after I finished it but um, I think it was yeah, it, it's there's um lots of uh, um there was some stuff written about it recently and um I think uh yeah it around kind of um uh 2011 I think it was they they um they they uh, got rid of all their um pol- local politicians because they weren't doing enough to stop the crime in the city which was about uh, logging there was a legal logging and it was creating a horrible kind of crime syndicate and you know they were losing all their trees and everything else so basically the people got together and and they kind of completely defenestrated their um local politicians and the and the police and they said we're going to sort it out ourselves and actually reading the stuff it was actually a lot of the the, the women that organized this and and since uh, 2011 2012 they've not engaged in local elections they've not engaged in any national elections i.e. you know the recent um, presidential elections in mexico and they they and crime has dropped significantly um people are um healthier you know they they they're regrowing their trees it's a far more environmentally friendly place and this is all because they sort of said no we are not going to engage in you know your version of society which is a kind of parliamentary democratic kind of you know this this voting system which we have so um that to me is really in, i mean it's got its problems obviously there is you know the it, but it's not perfect by any means. But it's a really in a citywide example of people that have refused to engage with you know what people have said you should engage in this kind of version of of um, state capitalism. But they they refuse to do that, and it, and it's produced very very beneficial results. So how would that community in your mind define the notion of creativity? Because they are refusing to go along with the way in which uh, the, the powers that be suggest that you need to do in order to progress. They are saying, no, um, we are going to create a different version of life, one where, you know, we are not ruled by local politicians or indeed national politicians, one where we are not subject to, you know, police brutality, one in which we can actually, um, you know, uh, stop crime before it happens in terms of like you know we don't have to go through the police process we can actually cut it down at its source so they are being creative because they are refusing to engage with the version of progress which the world imposes upon them and that's why that that's the kind of version of creativity which i try to explain in the book it's not a, i mean it, there's, there's nothing wrong with creating a brand new technology you know I, or and a brand new kind of market uh, to to or it's a product to market a new computer game or a new app or whatever it might be there's nothing wrong with that they they are creative in 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 and of themselves it's how they are then plugged into the wider systems which then just sort of eradicate any kind of chance they have of you know revolutionary change that's the problem for me that that you know creativity is is has to be broadened out you have to think about it globally on a societal kind of level because if we don't you know, create a new mode of living, then I, there's all sorts of problems that are going to um, happen. So um, in, in Mexico, in this, in this, in, in Chiran, it is a really good example of, of a city trying to do that. Now, you could, scale, you could try and scale that up. Brilliant. You know, the scale problem is a, is a, is a crucial one. It, you know, can you scale up these things? Um, 
sometimes they don't work sometimes power comes crashing down and, and you, you end up having to replicate the same problems so scaling them up is a very very important process and that's a very different question because you have to sort of start changing political systems you know and you know heaven knows we've in the in the us and in the uk we're seeing a massive polarization of the political spectrum with socialism you know coming to the fore and everything else but also the far right so that's that's a that's a different different kind of question but there are there are examples of this kind of creativity and they are they're they're everywhere they're just not because they are not feeding capitalism they're often marginalized and the people see them and go oh well that's clearly wrong because you're not you know you're not making more money you're not doing this let's let's try and stop it let's try and appropriate it somehow or let's just try and violently enclose it so um yeah so for me those are the kinds of things which make it creative and it it, it goes back to that Pepsi commercial that we talked about at the beginning where these protest movements were certainly in many respects they had power to sort of create something new something more just something for the social good or the commons but businesses like Pepsi were appropriating these sort of creative spaces to perpetuate the status quo of capitalism absolutely and you know these protests and all these marches and that we see in the world at the moment i mean then it's it's not just because it's it's the new thing to do it's that people are angry people are really really um scared and angry about kind of the, the things that are happening in the world at the moment and you know corporations that that use that to sell drinks i mean you know you look at what with nike recently with um the the nfl um, player that they they you know, it's the, they come. They've come under similar kinds of uh, critiques. Um, you know, it's it's fine on the one hand to kind of have this and to 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 bring these things into the public consciousness, but at the same time, it's like it, their bottom line will be about how can we do that to make more money. And if that's if that's the the underlying process that's going on, it will always be a. It will, there will always be at the end game a kind of the, the growth of Nike or the growth of Pepsi and 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 the the problems that that entails in terms of like working structures and continuing to sort of have child labor in the Indonesia or whatever it is that Nike do with how they make their shoes and everything else. And it, and that won't change just because, you know, they've got a, um, they put Colin Copernicus all over their, um, their adverts. It's not going to change. So yes, it, it, these, these protests and everything else that, are, that Pepsi have, have appropriated, they mean something and, and they're over time and they're actually trying to change the system. They're trying to change how we operate in this world. And if 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 the ethics of that are emptied as they are, as they are being with things like Pepsi, then that's for me incredibly problematic. Well, Ali Mold, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. Thank you very much. Ali Mold works at Royal Holloway, University of London. His new book is Against Creativity. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interview. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. An original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.